The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Well, happy good morning to everybody. Thankful for the invitation to come back to Macedonia. I'm thankful for each and every one that has come out this morning. We are certainly gathered here for one purpose this morning, and that is to honor God the Father. And how do we do that? By honoring God the Son. As Jesus told the wicked Pharisees in John chapter 5, He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father. And how do we honor Jesus Christ? We honor him one way is by coming together in the commonly assembly to worship as we are this morning. We honor him by studying the word. We honor the living word by studying the written word and by listening to the preached word while we're here. So I do beg an interest in your prayers that what I have to say this morning would be beneficial to you, would be uplifting, would be edifying, but more importantly, it honors Jesus Christ. That is our purpose here. I do appreciate the song selection this morning. Many of those songs that I had not sung in quite a while. And on that last hymn, Sister, you want to sing all four verses, and that's extremely important because each and every one of us struggle with some sin in our life, many sins. Those sins may be visible to the outside world by how we act, or I should say how we react to certain situations, but many of those times those concerns are on our hearts, those secret sins that perhaps nobody else knows. It could be those faults that we do to our other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why John tells us if we, well, James tells us to confess our faults one to another. But it could be that those secret sins we have on our heart is against God directly. That's why John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, he says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we understand this isn't talking about an eternal sense. Our sins were put away and forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, by his death. But what that's talking about is here in this life, we need the cleansing from our sins for our conscience. Because a born-again child of God is burdened by sin in our lives. We feel remorse for our sins. That is a characteristic of a child of God who has been born again by the Holy Spirit. So if you encounter somebody who is not mourning over their sins, that's a bad sign. Because what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now we're not talking about mourning the loss of a loved one, the death of a loved one. Of course, we should mourn those loved ones. But what Jesus is talking about is those who are mourning over their own sins. When you feel a weight of that. And that's why it's so wonderful to believe in the doctrines of grace. To know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Because it takes that burden off our shoulders. To realize that salvation is entirely of God. By God. Through God. Of God. And that's why Jesus says. Come unto me ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That's what we're wanting here in this life is rest. And I hope we can find some measure of rest as we come into God's house this morning with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and find a little bit of that rest because Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Because in this world, if we're yoked to Jesus Christ, even if it might be 99.9999% Him, and I'll let you do the math on what that small percentage is of us, that's how we can manage this our life. That's how we can continue on if we take Jesus' yoke upon us. And when it talks about that He knows, obviously we believe in, believe in a all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, ever-present God. And he knows what we stand in need of before we ask it. Yet it pleases him for us to come to him in prayer to send our <laughs> petitions to him. Why? Because it shows our reliance on him as God and it puts us in the right frame of mind to know that he is our creator, he is our savior, he is the almighty Jehovah Elohim. And we are just sinful men, not worthy of the least of his mercies. Yet he has sought fit to love us and to extend his mercy, extend his grace to us. And of course, how do we respond? With thankfulness, which I hope I, I get to in my message. But sometimes you, these introductory comments go along. We have a lot that's on my mind. A lot that came out in the song service. A few more comments on the song, Jesus Knows. Even though he knows us, he knows what we stand in need of before we ask him, as I've already said. He knows us in another way, not just intellectual knowledge. He knows us in that he loves us and that he knows what we're going through because he condescended from glory on high and was made manifest in the flesh, took on the appearance of sinful flesh, even though he was without sin. One of the reasons why, so... God could directly relate to us. I love how the fourth, fourth chapter of Hebrew closes, for it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tested like as we are, yet without sin. Now, in case you don't like double negatives, as you can probably tell, as, as Sister Sheila knows, I'm an engineer, I'm not an English major. Let's just take out those double negatives, and if it's a bit wordy for you. For we have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. Whatever emotion you have, whatever experience you have in this life, Jesus knows. He suffered it. He was tempted, yet without sin. You say, well, how's that, Brother Morgan? I can't rationalize it. Neither can I. That's where faith comes in. But notice, now that we understand that we have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, who is at the right hand of God, who ever liveth to make intercession for his saints, what do we do? Do we come to him timidly? Come to him angrily? No. Let us therefore come boldly, that is, confidently, not arrogantly, confidently, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help of time of need. And that's what we need in this life. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. And we come to that throne of grace. We come to the throne of God. We come to Jesus Christ with our petitions confidently, knowing that we have this access to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. 
And it's totally of God that we have that access, not by anything that we've done or we could do, but all through what Jesus has done for us. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace where we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus knows those are a few thoughts I had. Thank you for that, sister. Thank you for all those good song requests we have this morning. As I move into my subject this morning, I'll make a few say, introductory comments to the subject. So this is going to be the introduction of introduction. <laughs> so I'm not quite shooting from the hip, even though it might be what it appears, but please, please pray for me. <clears throat> now, I'm not sure if it was the last time I was had a preaching appointment at Clear Springs, or maybe it was the first time. I'm not quite sure, but I know I preached on salvation by grace alone. And while I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, I will go over a few key verses just to demonstrate that point that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And if I had to put a title to this sermon, it would be, We Are Saved by Grace. Grace, now what? So we understand that we're saved by the grace of God alone and not our works. Many verses we can go to to highlight that fact. One would be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are whose workmanship? Our own workmanship? The preacher's workmanship? Granddaddy's workmanship? Our godly grandmother's workmanship? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus by our good works unto good works, which he had before ordained that we should walk therein. And all that simply meaning is, now that we're saved by grace, now that we understand it is a gift, now that we are created in Christ Jesus, we are to do good works in honor of God the Father and of Jesus Christ. Again, saved by grace, not of works. What about 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 10? It's talking about God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace given in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality by the gospel, who hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Again, saved by grace, not by works. And what is the purpose of the gospel? God's written word is to bring life and immortality to light. This is a proclamation of Jesus Christ's victory. The preached word or the written word, it doesn't give life. It doesn't give immortality. It just tells us about it. It tells us what Jesus Christ has done for us. Two more verses. It's good old Baptist doctrine verses you've heard many times, but guess what? We need to hear it again and again because we forget. Even the man standing behind the pulpit, we have a tendency to forget. We need to hear preaching ourselves. And unfortunately, if you're like me and you have to hear the sound of your own voice, it makes you sick. I can't stand <laughs> listening to recordings of myself. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I heard Elder Philip Conley talk about this very fact. He said the first time he heard himself recorded, he almost threw up. I can relate, I assure you. <laughs> what about the last verse of... In Galatians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul says, I do not frustrate 
the grace of God. That is, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't add to the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God forth. Righteousness cometh by the law. Then Christ is dead in vain. Again, salvation is all by grace. What is grace? It is the unmerited favor of God. It also can be defined this way. Our riches at Christ's expense. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I don't set it aside. For if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I'm not going to be able to quote this exactly, but go a little bit further in Galatians chapter 3, and believe it's going to be around verse 21 or 22. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, Verily, if there had been a law that had have given life, righteousness should have come by the law. What the Apostle Paul again is saying, if there was a law that could have been kept, in other words, if there was something that we had to do or something that we could do in order that we would save ourselves eternally, that, that we could give ourselves spiritual life, then God would have given it. But God didn't give it because that wasn't the purpose of the Old Testament law. One more verse. It goes hand in hand with setting aside or frustrating the grace of God. What about Romans chapter 11, the opening verses? This is talking about the Apostle Paul's making a case, talking about how God has not cast off his people forever. Much preaching in that. But move on down to a few verses where he says, even at this present time, there remains an election according to work. Is that what it says, brother? No. Even at this present time, there remains a remnant according to the election of grace. So what is the basis of election? Grace. The unmerited favor of God. The love of God. God's mercy. The undeserved forgiveness. That's the basis of election. Even so, at this present time, there, remain, there remains an elect, a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace it is no more works, otherwise grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, it is no more grace, otherwise works is no more works. Now again, if that's a bit too wordy for you, let me break it down this way. Either you're saved by grace or you're saved by works. They're mutually exclusive. Those concepts don't overlap. You can't co-mingle them in any way. So you're saved eternally by grace or by works, not by both. And we're saved eternally by grace. Very well, Brother Morgan, you've gone through these verses quite quickly. You could have preached an entire sermon on each verse. Very well, I could have. So we're saved by grace. What do we do now? Do we rest on our laurels? Do we have a seat and say, well, God's done all the work and I don't have to do anything? Or do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now, if that sounds very familiar, because it's coming from Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That is the most strongest, most strongest, that is the strongest language in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul uses to adamantly disagree with something. And some people have accused primitive Baptists of this in the past, that when you just believe in grace, that just gives people a license to sin as they please because you're saved by grace eternally. You can't lose your salvation, uh, so that shouldn't motivate you to live a good life. 
my response to those people is you really you don't understand what salvation by grace is and that's just plain blunt but it's the truth because i want somebody to raise a hand that if you've met a primitive baptist who actually believe that that we're saved by grace that gives us a license to sin has anybody met anybody like that even outside the primitive baptist church well i better not ask that but it, within the primitive baptist church i surely haven't because once you have a full appreciation of salvation by grace, that motivates us to live a life honoring to Christ. The sins that we do in our life, we don't want to do it. We get sick of our own sins when we feel our unworthiness, our inadequacy before God the Father, before God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because of our sins. Again, that is a sign of being born again by the Holy Spirit to have that remorse, that godly remorse for our sins because it is that it is that godly remorse, that godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance. What shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live there any longer? What does, it, what does that mean to be dead to sin? That means we are dead to the condemnation of sin, to the eternal consequences of sin through grace, through mercy, through love of that perfect sacrifice Jesus made for his people. What sacrifice am I talking about? His sacrifice on the cross. You may recall Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But this man, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and henceforth expecting to his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified, them that are set apart. Set apart when? Before the foundation of the world. The elect. Now, Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross, when he died for us, there was a portion in a, in a legal sense and a positional sense that we died with him. We died to that condemnation that is in sin, that eternal condemnation. And that's how we're dead to the condemnation of sin eternally. But of course, while we're here in this world, even after we've been born again, we still have to deal with our old sinful nature, don't we? It's called the old man. It's called the flesh. Sinful nature. There are many other terms described in the New Testament we, we'll get to in a moment. But we still have to contend with that here. But we can thank God, thank Jesus Christ, that we'll never be separated from his love, that if he died for us, if he loves us, that one day when we die, we will be with him eternally, forever. And one day when he comes back and he raises our bodies from the grave and translates those who are still alive and remain that we'll be with him for eternity in a glorified, resurrected body like his own body. <clears throat> Indeed, you know, there are many verses that speak to this fact. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is now, as in right now, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's something we can rejoice in right now, that we 
know that we will never be separated from the love of God. We will not face condemnation for our sins because Jesus Christ paid that price for us on Calvary's cross. About, what about John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25? Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Not will have it, has it presently. Jesus Christ is talking about to those people who heard, actually heard his preaching. And our belief is a certification that we have been born again by the Holy Spirit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him who sent me hath everlasting life, is in current possession of everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life, from a death of in sin and sins and trespasses to a life, a spiritual life in Christ Jesus. So very well, again, this entire sermon could be preached on each of these verses. That's a rather long introduction, but again, my theme is we're saved by grace, now what? Now there are many places you can go to in the Bible that actually lay out the case for salvation by grace. They give you the doctrine first and then they give you the instruction in righteousness. For instance, you could go to Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, doctrinally strong chapters, then chapters 4, 5, and 6. Lay out your instruction in righteousness. What are we to do for God? Or what are we, what are we to do in light that we have been saved by grace? And you can think of doctrine in this way. That doctrine is what God has done for us. And then you can think of instruction in righteousness as this. How are, to, how are we to respond to the grace that God has bestowed upon us? And, of course, you can clearly see that pattern laid out in Romans, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 through 11, heavy doctrinal chapters. And what about chapters 12 through 16? That's our instruction in righteousness. I'm not sure if it was Brother Adam or Brother Joe. Did you pray the opening prayer for the service? You have to refresh. Remember, one of you said, let us provide our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. That you, Brother Adam? Okay. I heard somebody say it. I, don't, I didn't imagine it, but even if I had imagined it, the, the point still stands that in chapter 12, that's part of the opening verses, that the Apostle Paul was beseeching the Romans and beseeching us, by the way, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And that's in light of what the, the doctrine he had gone over in chapters 1 through 11. Now, actually, I preached through Romans chapter 12 last week, last Sunday, when I was filling an appointment in Asheville, North Carolina, at Mountain Home Primitive Baptist Church. Now, I should have said this in the prayer request, but as everybody in here knows, there are many Primitive Baptist churches across the nation that don't have pastors. And we need to pray for those churches. So I do thank the saints at Clear Springs for their faithful service in these many years without a pastor. But you know, I could go into detail. I think I know 10 off the top of my head that don't have pastors right now. I'm sure there are many more. But we need to pray for those churches and give thanks to God for those churches that do have under-shepherds. But where, I, where my mind wants to go now is to Colossians chapter 3. Now, Colossians does fit the pattern that I've been, I've been laying out about how the first few chapters are doctrinal chapters. Chapters 1 and 2 are doctrinal. 
And then chapters three and four, it, they, yes, they do contain doctrine, but the main emphasis on, all right, we've laid out the case. We've given you the foundation. We've given you God's teachings. We've given you the doctrine. Now, what do you do with it? How do you respond? And I have to admit, this is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, Colossians chapter 3. And it starts out with some of the most beautiful language, beautiful verses that our mind can envision. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. What a beautiful, what a beautiful set of verses. And it's one, we mentioned memory verses this morning, and I'm glad... I'm glad Brother David does that. that. And Brother Joe, you may do that as as well at Clear Springs for the congregation there. But that's something that we all need to do is not only to memorize the scripture, which is is good, right, and proper, but what's even more important is we actually understand what it means, that we have a knowledge of that doctrine. So we need to have a knowledge. We need to have a zeal. We need to put both of those together. We need to have a zeal of God according to knowledge. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Another way you could read that is, seeing that, you have been risen with Christ. What in the world does he mean by that? Well, sometimes when you see if in the Bible, or seeing that, or because, or more importantly, therefore, you need to ask, what, what is therefore, therefore? Anytime you see that, you might have to go back to the previous few verses, the previous few chapters, or maybe all the way back to chapter 1. But in this case, it will help us give a little context. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to start at verse 8. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, verses that I really want. Verse 11. In whom also... Ye are circumcised with the circumcision without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that is, made alive, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now again, much could be said at this verses, but notice what he said. 
that we are buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism, where also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, it's important to realize that when it talks about us being dead to sins, that condemnation of sins, that happened to us on the cross. That when Christ died, in God's eyes, legally and positionally, we died with him. That might be said, what in the world, Brother Morgan? We still die in this life. We do, but think of it as, in, as the Apostle Paul did, excuse me, the Apostle Peter, I believe, when it talks about the time of his decease. When we die in this world, we understand this world is not our home. We're looking for a better home. We're looking for a heavenly home, that heavenly Jerusalem, which is above and mother to us all. We, we know that we're strangers and pilgrims here in this world, that when we die, that's not the end. You're a born-again child of God. Jesus Christ loves you. When you die in this world, when you close your eyes, you're going to open them in heaven and see Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when it talks of us being dead to sin, again, I'm hammering this point home because it can get easily confused. It is kind of confusing because before we've been born again, we are dead in our trespasses and in sins. That's the difference from being dead in trespasses and sins before we've been born again by the Holy Spirit and being dead to sins. This is an important point because the Apostle Paul is going to continue to make it. That not only when Jesus Christ died, we legally and positionally died with him, but when, when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, in a sense, we rose with him. In the mind of God, it's already as good as done. You might ask yourself, risen how? Well, risen by the resurrection, that's a sure thing, but also risen in the new birth, because a new birth is likened to a resurrection, to a quickening. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Now, we understand that we are risen with Christ. I'm going to make an assumption right here that says everybody in the congregation here has been born again. Sovereignly by the Holy Spirit. And if that's true, then you've also been raised up with Christ Jesus. And since that's true, notice how we're to respond. We're to seek those things which are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your affection that is, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Because when we're here in this world, we lust after earthly things. We all need to work. We all need to earn money. We all need to provide food and shelter and provisions for our family. Because he that will not provide for his own is worse than an infidel or have denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And there's nothing wrong with working. There's nothing wrong with trying to accumulate some wealth here in this life. There's nothing wrong with trying to live a comfortable life. 
There's nothing wrong with money. Money won't solve all your problems, but it will solve your money problems, won't it? The problem is, is when you lust after money, when you love money, when you love wealth, when you set your affections on it rather than on God, because it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, even though some people will quote it that way. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And whatever you set your mind here on this world, and you make it that your primary focus and not your primary focus on Jesus Christ, you're going to be led away. You're going to be confused. We all have struggle with sins. Each of us had those different struggles. But they all happen when we take our eye off Jesus Christ. You recall what happened to the apostle Peter when he was walking on water. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus Christ, he kept walking on the water, did he not? But what happened when he looked at the storm, when he looked away, when he got concerned about the cares of this world, about what's happening around him in this world? He started sinking. And what did he say? Lord, save me. Lord, I perish. And sometimes that's what we need to say here in this life. You know, I love hearing long, eloquent prayers by our brothers in Christ. But sometimes that's not the prayer we need to pray. Sometimes it is, Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I perish. Help me. And we cry out to him in, life, in that sense. He's not deaf. He will hear. He will consider us. He may not always answer our prayers in the way that we want. And that's a hard thing sometimes because God, through the prophet Isaiah, said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And I'll add, my timeline is not your timeline. So you may ask yourself, well, God, why haven't you blessed me in this way? Or God, why haven't you blessed me like my other brothers and sisters in Christ? Why haven't you blessed me like you've, I'm not going to say bless the wicked, but why do the wicked have things that I want and I don't have? And that's, that's a thought we've all had. It's not a right thought, but it's a thought, thought we've all had. And give you a clue into human nature, humans throughout history have had that same desire, have had that same question. They've wondered about that. Go back to Psalm 73, Song of Asaph. Psalm of Asaph. I may have said song, but psalm and songs are the same thing. You know, the ancient Hebrew people, they actually sang the psalms. We don't know the tunes. But Asaph wondered, what did he say? He said, I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For the wicked are not troubled as other men, neither they played like the other men. So we've asked these questions to ourselves. We've asked them to God. Men throughout history have as well. But God knows what we need. Sometimes we may not know what we need. And God will answer our prayers perhaps in ways we don't realize. Of course, more could be said on that. But as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, even though we might not understand everything that happens to us, we know that he loves us. We know that we can come to him in prayer. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God.
Remember how I said that we are dead to sins, that condemnation of sins? This is it right here. This is that sense of how we are dead. For we are dead. For Morgan is dead. Sometimes put your name in those verses for it to make more sense. <laughs> yeah, two weeks ago, I preached at my father's home church at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church in Bay Springs. And that's where Brother David was preaching a meeting the day before. I preached there that Sunday. And I was preaching on the great shepherd of the sheep. And I started out in Psalm 23, the most recognized psalm by far. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. <laughs> it wasn't until after the fact that I realized I should have taken a page out of Elder Ronald Lawrence's book and applied it to, to that sermon. He says when he reads Psalm 23, he says he'll take out all those pronouns and put his name in there. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, Ronald shall not want. Well, I think that's a great idea. The Lord is my shepherd, Morgan shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, Joel shall not want. Marie shall not want. Put your name in there. Sometimes that helps it make it more real to us to do that. For, you, for Morgan is dead, and Morgan's life is hid with Christ in God. So we're dead to the damnation that sin does cause for all humanity. And we understand that Jesus Christ paid for the sins of his people on the cross. And your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, sometimes I hear some verses preached, not in the Primitive Baptist Church, but other men will preach that things can separate you from the love of God. Perhaps it's a car wreck. Has anybody here heard the car wreck sermon before? I'm going to preach the anti-car wreck sermon one day. On that memory verse, it was, what, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10? Uh, I'll give you some extracurricular homework. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Who knows what it is? We love God because he first loved us. Who initiated that relationship with us in love? God did. Not me, not you, not anybody else. When did God start loving you? Before the foundation of the world. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with love and kindness have I drawn thee. But God's love for his people is eternal. The nature of God is eternal. It doesn't change. We call that the immutability of God. One of the verses Brother David mentioned at Bethlehem two weeks ago was Hebrews chapter 13 I forget the exact verse where it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So if God loves you, he has forever loved you. And nothing can separate you from that love of God. You may have heard this phrase that once saved, always saved. I appreciate the sentiment that people have behind it, which they say, but... I rather don't like using it because that phrase implies that at some time you weren't saved, doesn't it? How about this? Try this on size. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, you have been forever saved. If Jesus Christ loves you, he has forever loved you, and never, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's what it talks about 
for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Jesus put it this way in talking about the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. What stronger eternal security text could you have besides that? How about, how about Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. And this is going to be the basis of my anti-car wreck sermon. Romans chapter 8. And as, as Elder Sonny Piles once said, you know, these verses preach themselves. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, brethren, let me ask you this question. What can separate us from the love of God, that is, the love of Jesus Christ that is in God? You know, the Apostle Paul could have stopped with death and life. And that covers all bases, isn't it? But he went into more detail. If you have me some editorial license, I'll add a car wreck on the end of that phrase. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. As, I, as my pastor and father in the ministry, Elder David Pyle, says, that's a phrase that we need, to, we need to meditate on that phrase. We need to think about it. It's easy just to read that verse and say, yep, I agree with it, and go on to the next one and not very much consider it. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Christ is our life, isn't he? Both of our natural life, the physical creation, but also the spiritual creation, that new man, that new creature, that new creation. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So when you read that term, new man, new creation. It's talking about our spirit that is created in us in the new birth. When Christ, who is our life, our physical life and our spiritual life, shall appear, then shall you also appear in glory. What did, what did Jesus Christ tell his disciples in John chapter 15? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He is our life. And if he is our life, that means we should live our life in honoring to Jesus Christ. 
Again, how do we do that? By studying his word, by meditating on him, by coming to worship in a communal sense. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. Now, I already mentioned when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to resurrect the saints that have already died and are already in heaven with him. He's going to resurrect their mortal bodies. And those people who are alive and remain, they're going to be translated just like Enoch was. What do you mean, translated? Well, going from one form to another. Just like if you were translating a text from Spanish to English, you're translating it. And you are the translator, and the text itself, itself is passive. Just like in the process of the new birth, as in the process of the resurrection, we are passive. It's God who is active. So we're going to, when he appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. We're going to have a resurrected, immortal, glorified body like he has right now. Now, I didn't get to many of the texts that I wanted to. Time's getting away. But I'm just going to read verses 5 through 17 and make a few comments. This, in essence, is how we are to respond to the doctrine of salvation by grace. Again, this is Colossians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 5. Mortify, that is, subdue, put to death, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. Make a few quick comments on those. A born-again child of God will still struggle with sins in this life. Even though sin is not going to have dominion over us in this life, we still struggle with those influences. And those things I listed, we still struggle with that. Fornication, sex outside of marriage specifically, but it also includes all sexual immorality as well, including, I even hate saying this from the pulpit, but if you watch, if you watch the media, you watch movies, you read books, you listen to music, you're going to encounter much worse. Not only is sex outside of marriage encompassed in fornication, but all sexual immorality, including bestiality, pedophilia, adultery. And Apostle Paul is very clear in all his epistles when he preaches against these things. We shouldn't do them. Inordinate affection. Apostle Paul referred to this as vile affections in Romans chapter 1. Just because somebody has affections for something, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing because it can be vile affections. It can be inordinate affections. When he talks about uncleanness, anything that would taint us from the holiness which God has called us to be. When it talks about us sanctifying ourselves here in this life, it's talking about setting ourselves aside in this life for holy usage, for his service. Uncleanness is anything that takes us away from that. Evil concupiscence. That's not a word you hear very often, is it? I might not even be pronouncing it correctly. Well, I'm just an old Southern boy, that's all right. That just means evil or sinful desire or longing to sin. And covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, that's something that needs to be preached from the pulpit more because we live in a covetous society, don't we? Where 
it's a good thing to actually say that what is yours, what you rightfully, you rightfully worked to earn, part or all of that is mine. Covetousness is idolatry because if you covet something, and it could be that you covet your children, your grandchildren, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your car, the golf course, fishing, whatever it is, a farm, cars, if you covet that, that's idolatry because you're setting that above Jesus Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul is saying, now that you've been born again, now that you've been raised up with Jesus Christ, set these things aside, don't do them. For which things say the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. That is, before you were born again. This is That was your nature, just like the children of wrath, the non-elect. But he's saying, now that you have been born again, we're called to a higher standard in this life. In the which also you walked some time when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Ooh, we struggle with that, don't we? I've had people argue with me to say, well, it's okay if I cuss every once in a while. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Filthy communication out of your mouth. He also says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And there's a companion verse in Ephesians chapter 4 that talks about this. Filthy communication out of your mouth. But now you're also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man, that sinful nature, with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Talking about our spirit. Remember in Romans chapter 8 where it talks about how we are being conformed to the image of Christ? That occurs in many stages. One of them is being born again when our spirit, little less, is created in us in the image of Jesus Christ. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, we understand that in the church, in the body of Christ, there's not a church for men, not a church for women, not a church for black people, not a church for white people, not a church for Jew, not a church for Gentile, not one for circumcised or somebody who hasn't been uncircumcised, not a church for... No need to go into all the categories, but put whatever category you want on there. There's one church in Jesus Christ, and we're all united in it, and that's the only way we're going to be united. All right, so that's the bad stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Verse, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's a hard thing, isn't it? Sometimes to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we in the Primitive Baptist Church, we're all bullheaded. That's the country boy term. Hard-headed, if you please. We like to argue and fuss about too many minor things. 
And sometimes we're not as charitable to our brothers and sisters in Christ in a primitive Baptist church as we should be. And while I'm pointing out specifically the primitive Baptist church, this applies at large to all our brothers and sisters in Christ, and even to our enemies as well. But especially to those who are the household of faith, we should be forgiving. We should be long-suffering. It puts to mind the last verse of Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it is. And it says, Be ye kind, tender-hearted one to another, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So there's nothing that our brothers and sisters in Christ have done that we can't forgive because I want you to think what has God, what sins has God forgiven you on behalf of Jesus Christ? So when we sin, we often forget that God, first and foremost, is the aggrieved party. That when we sin, it's against God, first and foremost. And then, to somebody else. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also you do. You say, well, Brother Morgan, I can't forgive that person. They've done X, Y, and Z to me. And it may be something that is done that is very foul. Maybe it has long-term effects on you. How can you do that? By relying on Jesus Christ. By praying, saying, God, forgive me for this. Give me the strength to forgive this person as you have forgiven me. And above all these things, put on charity. That's that agape love, that unreciprocated love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Of all the root causes that we have in this country, this very well could be the main problem, unthankfulness. And actually, that fits a biblical pattern. I could we can go back to Romans chapter 1. You can go to Ezekiel chapter 16, talking about the children of Israel. That when people refuse to glorify God for their blessings, when they are unthankful to Him, that's the first brick in the road downhill to damnation, temporal damnation. And we're there in this country. Because once you recognize that you're saved by grace, how are we to respond? With thankfulness, with joyfulness. You know, God doesn't want us to serve Him because we feel that we have to, or He doesn't want us to serve Him just because we're scared of Him casting us into hell. Again, as Elder Ricky Harker would say, my friends, I've got a better story than that. And I do have a better conception of grace for you than that. That we respond with thankfulness for what God has done for us. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's what we did this morning. You know, I love to sing. I love music. As all of you well know, I can't carry a tune in the bucket. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that we sing with grace from the heart to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. As I look into the congregation, I see many people of all ages. I don't know who the who the youngest is in the congregation for. Three. Three. Excellent. 
and I won't ask who the oldest in the congregation is. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I could venture a guess. 88, Brother Joel? 84. 84. All right. So I see people in here from age 3 to age 84. I see people in here from all walks of life. Some people are working. Some people are retired. Some people are going to school. Whatever it is you're doing in this life, we're to do all in the name of Jesus Christ to his honor, to his glory, to his power, to his majesty, and give him thanks. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And that's how we respond now that we understand that we're saved completely by the grace of God and not by our works. That however, whatever we're called to do in this life, whatever our current vocation is, we're to live a life honoring to Jesus Christ and thereby honoring God. And whatever we do in word or deed, do it in thankfulness to Him. And if we do that, we can live a blessed life. We can have peace with God through that way because we know that we've done the right thing even though people may not respond in the right way we know that our conscience is clear because we have done the right thing in obeying the scriptures the word of God and following the great shepherd of the sheep our Lord, Savior, and Master Jesus Christ we thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.